I have a feeling we have some people here that are anxious to get home. Get the Christmas traditions going, open up presents, maybe sit around a tree and drink hot cocoa. I think the kids are excited too. Um, So here's my promise to you. Promise. Promise might be too strong. Here's, Here's my goal. We're going to do this quick, okay? We're going to keep this nice and short because I know you want to get on. But I do want us to open Scripture this morning. And I want us to turn to a very unusual passage for Christmas morning. So open up to Matthew chapter 1. That's not unusual. The Christmas story is in Matthew chapter 1. You get the angels appearing to Joseph. Uh, you get the Magi coming in chapter 2. So very Christmassy, but we're going to start before that. One of these passages, if you're going through a Bible reading plan, you probably read through this very, very quickly. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I am not going to read it this morning. Uh, You'll understand why when you get there. It is a genealogy, is a list of names. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the chairs in front of you somewhere. Feel free to grab that. Matthew and Luke each have very detailed accounts of the Christmas narrative, the birth of Jesus Christ. And they each approach it from a slightly different perspective. They include some different details. But Matthew's account starts in this very unusual place. He begins his gospel. That word means the good news. So his gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus Christ. He begins his gospel with a genealogy, a listing of the ancestors of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Abraham. Now, Luke also has a genealogy, but he brings it in a little bit later. And he traces Jesus' line a little bit differently. But I want to focus on Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. He has, I think, more Old Testament quotes in his gospel than any of the others. Possibly all of the others put together. I'm not really sure. He, He is writing to people that he knows know the Old Testament. And so all of these quotes would be very meaningful to them. And genealogies were very important in the Jewish customs and in the Jewish traditions because it was a statement not just of a family tree, but who this person was. They are who they are because of where they came from and who their ancestors are. This rootedness was very important to them. And Matthew uses this genealogy of Jesus Christ to point out some very important things to his audience and to us today. So that's what I want to look at briefly. Uh, Again, I'm not going to read all the names. I can't pronounce all the names. I could fake it and you probably wouldn't know. But we're just going to look at the beginning and the end of the genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he starts out this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then if we skip to the very end, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So he divides up his genealogy with these very important divisions. From Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile back to the return to the land. 
And he also gives us these three important themes back in verse 1. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does Matthew start his gospel that way? That's what I want to look at this morning. Now, for some of you, maybe you're visiting with us. This, this isn't a very Christmassy graphic. Um, that's because we're in the middle of a sermon series. And it started, I don't know, somewhere in the fall, I think. And we're going all the way through Easter. And it's a sermon series looking at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we are right at that point in the sermon series where we have just moved from the Old Testament to the New, and we are in the right place at the right time, coming to the birth of Jesus. And so, in some ways, this is a Christmas story, but in many ways, it's also part of our sermon series. So, I'm going to try to wrap some of these things in, in case uh, you're not familiar with some of the things we've been talking about, but I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those sermons in the sermon series to be able to catch up with some of these themes. Because Matthew's bringing up some themes... And if you've been with us over the past couple months, hopefully they're going to sound familiar because I've been trying to emphasize these as we go. And three of the most important themes he's emphasizing is Abraham. Why is Abraham important? He's emphasizing King David and he's emphasizing the exile. And these three things, I think, tell us so much about Jesus Christ and tie into the Christmas message in such a profound and important way. And by doing this, what Matthew is doing is he's bringing the entirety of the Old Testament into the Christmas story. Everything that happened in the manger that morning ties into what God has been saying all along throughout the Old Testament. And everything that's going to happen in the New Testament after the manger ties back to who Jesus is, which is why I've called this focal point. Because all of the Old Testament looks to Jesus. All of the New Testament looks to Jesus. He is the focal point of Scripture. Now, so let's look at this. Let's start with Abraham. Because that's where Matthew starts. Let's try to put on our thinking caps, remember a little bit about Abraham. If you remember, God creates Adam and Eve in the garden, and they sin and they fall away. And then he, in this rebellious humanity, living as enemies and in rebellion against their Lord and King God, their creator, God reaches out in love and grace to this man named, at that time, Abram. He would later change his name to Abraham. And he establishes a relationship with Abram. And he says, through you and all of your offspring, I'm going to establish a relationship with people in this world. And we have this promise from God to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I'm sure Abraham heard this promise from God with great interest. Wow, God's going to bless me? He's going to make me into a great nation. He's going to make his name great. And he's going to be a blessing. God's going to bless those who bless Abram and, and whoever curses him. God will curse. That's a, a promise of protection and, and sustaining. But then there's this last little bit there at the end that I almost wonder if Abraham just sort of glossed over it. 
Because it wasn't just specific to Abraham. And I, I almost wonder if he just didn't know what to do with it. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Could you imagine God coming to you and saying, I'm going to bless everybody, all these people you don't know, past, present, and future. I'm going to bless them through you. What? How? The first part of this blessing that God gives to Abraham sets up the rest of the Old Testament. God will bless Abraham and his offspring. They're going to be his people. They become the Jewish nation. They are the the center point of the Old Testament as it traces through the Old Testament history of God's relationship with the Jewish people and all of the struggles therein. But the end of that blessing there is what I want us to look at this morning. How will God, through Abraham, bless the entire world? And Matthew, at the beginning of his gospel, I can almost imagine him coming out with a hammer and a sign, nailing it into the ground, flipping a switch, and bright lights go off, and horns are blaring, and he's going, everybody, look at this. Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abram. How is God going to bless the entire world through Abraham? Because of a baby born in a manger. And Matthew brings all of that beautiful Old Testament history and theology into the New Testament saying, don't miss this. This baby born in the manger is the fulfillment of the promise all the way back to Father Abraham. But he's not done yet. He's got another sign he wants to stake into the ground and turn some lights on so that we'll take notice. And he he holds up another person, this guy David, this king, this righteous man, had a lot of flaws, but he's known as a man after God's own heart. David comes to power at a time when, when Israel was struggling and they didn't have a king and then God gives them kind of the king that they want, this guy named Saul, and he's a horrible person. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to give you the king that I want. And he anoints David as king. And David is a good king. He's not perfect, but he loves the Lord and he leads people to worship God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we come across another one of these important promises in the Old Testament. And the scene is this. David is living in a palace. He's fought the battles. Things are going well. He's in a time of peace. And he's sitting there in his palace going, man, God has been so good to us. But he knows that that God is being worshipped in this temporary structure that went with them through the wilderness called the tabernacle. It's just a tent. And he's thinking... Here we are settled in our homes. Should I not build a beautiful temple so that people can come and worship the Lord? It's a great idea. And God sends uh, his servant, this prophet Nathan, to David with this promise. And in that, he says to him, David, you're not the one to build the house for me. And he says this, starting in the middle of verse uh, 11 here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now remember, David wanted to build a house for God. God comes to him and says, wait, 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 I'm going to establish your house, David. You should know at this point, we're not actually talking about a building. (laughs) He says, I'm going to establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors... And will raise up your offspring to succeed you. 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here's David wanting to build a house, a temple, a dwelling place for the Lord. And God comes and says, David, you're not the guy. One of your offspring, your descendants will come and build my house. And guess what? David has a son. His name is Solomon. And what does Solomon do? He builds the temple of the Lord. Well, there, boom, that's the fulfillment, right? Not quite. And I hope you've seen this as we've walked through the Old Testament. You get these immediate fulfillments of Scripture or enough prophecy, but the prophecies point to something so much greater. In fact, if we skip down to verse 16, we see this promise to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In this promise that God makes to David, he is telling David, that a descendant of David will build God's perfect dwelling place and that a descendant of David will sit on the throne of Israel forever and ever without end. That's a big promise. Who could possibly fulfill such a thing? Who could possibly be and, and provide the perfect dwelling place of God and be a king who reigns forever and ever. And right here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he's going, check this out. It's Jesus. He is the one who has come from David's lineage to reign on the throne forever and ever. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. In fact, Claudia, you said, you know, we needed something like he is risen. He is risen indeed. This, I think, is it. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means that is the most profound Christmas message there is. The God of the universe left heaven's throne to be born in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know what was so important about a temple? Tabernacle, dwelling place. It's that there in the temple, they believed the Lord God dwelt among them, that he was literally with them wherever they went, whatever they did right there. God is there. That's his house. He lives there. Now it wasn't perfect. It was more of a symbol. But then we have this passage and Matthew says, and he brings in this old Testament prophecy. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew wants us to know Again, here's this sign, bright flashing lights, horns are blaring. Don't miss this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to King David. He is the offspring of David who will reign on the throne forever and ever. And he is the one who will perfectly build God's dwelling place because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And if we fast forward to the end of the Gospels, we also have the message, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. God's dwelling place among his people. There's one more thing that Matthew ties in, in this genealogy, and it's this exile. And the exile is like a huge downer in the Old Testament. Why? Why, as you're given this good news, you, I mean, the book is called the gospel. It literally means good news. Why bring up the exile? Come on, Dave, or come on, Matthew. Like, don't bring up the bad stuff of the history. To bring you up to date in, in the history of the Old Testament, there's a time that, that God's people 
They're not being faithful over and over again. He's used prophet after prophet to bring them back. Time after time, they turn away. And God begins to warn them, I love you, but I will discipline you. I brought you into this land and I said, I will keep you here and protect you, but you are not being faithful. Maybe, God said, if I send you away, there your hearts will be turned back toward me. Sure enough, at some point, the kingdom of Israel split through a civil war to the north and the south. The north goes into exile. A couple hundred years later, the southern kingdom goes into exile and there they are for a couple generations. It's a very difficult time in the Old Testament. But in this time of exile, in the darkness of these years in Old Testament history, and people struggling, there emerges some themes. God will send a deliverer. He will send this one, this Messiah, who will deliver God's people, who will save God's people, who will bring them back into the ultimate promised land. There's also some themes through the prophets that the the Old Testament Israelites and the New Testament Jewish people as well in Jesus' day, they really struggled with. And it was this prophecy that that one who would deliver would also suffer and die. And they struggled with that. They didn't know what to do with it. In fact, a tradition arose that these must have been two different people because there's no way a conquering king can also suffer and die. This didn't make sense to them. So here at the beginning of his gospel, Matthew places a third flashing bright sign saying, don't miss this. The one who is promised to deliver us from the ultimate exile of our sin and our punishment the one who is the Messiah sent from God to save us is Jesus Christ born in the manger. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he brings in this beautiful Old Testament prophecy. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Did you know that the word Jesus, the name Jesus has that meaning? It means God saves. The Old Testament equivalent is Joshua. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it becomes more of a Yeshua. Jesus, 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 he will save us from our sins. The Lord saves. Here in the Christmas story, Matthew is saying, guys, this wasn't a plan B. God didn't wake up this morning and go, man, everything I did before this, that just really didn't work. Let's try something different. I'm going to send a baby in a manger. This will be great. Erase everything before it. We'll start over fresh in the New Testament. Matthew says, don't do that. He says, all this stuff about Christmas, it it has a richness of meaning that comes out of everything that God has done before. So as you gather for your Christmas traditions and celebrations this year, I want you to be able to truly appreciate the depth of the riches of, of the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born in a manger. I want you to understand that for thousands of years, God had prepared for this moment that we are celebrating today. I want you to understand the desperate need that we have. We are still people living in a world in exile, people suffering in their sins away from God, and we need the light of salvation. We need the Savior who came. We are still people who struggle under oppression in the world. 
who struggle in a world with systems that are messed up, and we need a true leader, not an elected official. There's no voting for King Jesus. We need a king sent from God to reign and rule forever and ever. And we need a descendant of Abraham. In a world where we're all struggling and we're trying to find our own blessings and our own peace, we need the means through which God has chosen to bless each and every one of us. Not just with temporary happiness, but with eternal salvation and peace. And God has prepared for this message for a couple thousand years. And it's interesting because each one of us, at some point in our lives, we we hear these messages over and over again. And just as I believe that God prepared over thousands of years to introduce the theme of Jesus and the Messiah born in the manger, so he prepares for each one of you to hear these messages Just as with God's people, it's God's way of calling us, saying, come, kneel before your Savior in the manger. Trust this king who was born on Christmas, a descendant of David, a descendant of Abraham, because only he can call you out of the exile that you're struggling with and feeling. Praise God for the birth of Jesus Christ the perfect fulfillment of all of these rich themes throughout Scripture. And I pray that we would truly focus on Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. It gives us these things leading up to Jesus, prepares the way for us to understand these things about Jesus. And God, in some ways, the gospel is so simple. We need a savior. You sent your son to die in our place to pay the price for our sins. And he rose again, promising eternal life to all who believe. It's so simple, a child can understand it. And yet there is a depth of rich theology and truth there that you prepared for thousands of years, introducing various themes to your people so that one day, these gospel writers could point to these themes and say, see, God is preparing this all along. And Father, I pray it's good for us to gather around Christmas trees and have Christmas lights. It's good to exchange gifts. It's good to have Christmas time and dinners with family. It's it's good to have these traditions. But God, may the signpost never leave our homes, and may the lights never cease to flash in our lives, pointing to Jesus Christ in all things. For he is the focal point of all of Scripture. May he truly be the focal point of our lives as well. In your name we pray. Amen.